Hello and welcome to the Boomerang Break. The last four days of Wimbledon have been nothing short of exhilarating, but all eyes were on the Salzburg Challenger round of 32 today, as Dominic team notched his first win in over a year. Okay, maybe not all eyes. Others may have noticed that Iga Striantek's 37 match winning streak came to an abrupt end, just as we predicted. Don't check the tape. With the world number one out, are Jabir and Halep on an unavoidable collision course for the final? On the men's side, Novak Djokovic did that thing again where he easily squats aside an opponent from two sets down, while Rafael Nadal and Nick Kyrgios have gained steam in the bottom half. We'll discuss the utter carnage that was Kyrgios Tsitsipas and address the more serious matter of Kyrgios' impending assault charge on today's edition of The Boomerang Break. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Boomerang Break. How's it all going? I'm here again with my guy, Eli E.K. How's life? Life is going well. Happy Fourth. Happy Fourth. Yes, that's true. Uh, Happy Independence Day. It's been a good Wimbledon for the Americans. We had four men in the round of 16, Anna Samova reaching the last eight, as well as Taylor Fritz. Um, great, but, yeah. but, but life is going great. I think, uh, as I said, there were a lot of very exciting matches at Wimbledon today, none of which I was able to see. But all that mattered today, in my mind, was the Salzburg Challenger round of 32. Dominic team against Philippe Misalich. It was a beauty. We've been waiting. Are we starting so there? Long. I guess we're starting there. Okay. We are going to start there. I mean, where, where else would we start right now? In what? <laughs> Go ahead. It's been so long since Dominic Team has won a tennis match. Full stop. Uh, he had an 11 match losing streak. He mm-hmm. had looked way off since coming back from his wrist injury. It was honestly sad to see. Um, and kind of hard to watch in a lot of these matches. Uh, the Dalian match at Roland Garros was definitely the low point, but he worked a lot. He had a, a long training block with Rublev and Hachinov in Barcelona. And finally, he's he's playing this challenger and played a good match. I, I watched a little bit of the replay on the ATP Tour website, and he the, for, the forehand looked better. The forehand was a major problem in his first few comeback matches. Um, but it's getting there. He, he's starting to hit it a bit more flat, hit it through the court, um, maybe feeling a little bit more confident uh, that his wrist can can handle it. So I'm excited. It's not going to be easy. I don't think he's he's back or anything. I think he might lose the next match to, match to uh, Facundo Bagnis, but he's getting there. We're, we're, it'll take a lot of time, but you got to hope that eventually it'll happen. Yeah. Team's last match win, correct me if I'm incorrect, was against Marton Fucevic, Italian Open last year, where he was actually the fourth seed. And now he's near 350 in the world. Definitely good to see him back. One thing with his forehand, I think why he's having a little trouble coming back is because it's such a wristy motion, right? He comes out, he gets the wrist back and then kind of leaps off the court. And that's how he's able to create so much spin top spin, which is why he's so dangerous at the French Open. Remember that one time he was playing Novak in the semis and how the ball was also always bouncing so high and it was blowing around in the wind and why Novak had so much trouble. So I think that's kind of why it's um, yeah the forehand is taking so long to run. Yeah, and it's interesting because he says he's felt no pain on it at all, but it's almost a mental thing where when you yeah. know you've had that injury that took so long to come back from, 
you don't almost don't trust your body to be able to reproduce that same motion. So even today, it felt like it was a bit of a different forehand stroke production than it was, let's say 2019, 2020 team when he was at his peak, but it was much more effective today than what he was trying to do with it uh, in the last few tournaments in the European clay court swing. So this, this was also a clay court challenger. I assume he'll play sort of the Kitschbühl, Bishad, Gashad kind of swing, um, yeah. but which I mean, may, maybe it's better for him to stay on the challenger tour for now, but yeah, good, good to see. For sure. He will play Facundo Bagnus on Thursday. So much watch. Uh, who cares about the Wimbledon semifinals? We got to watch team. It's great to see him we'll back. We'll be watching that. We'll be watching everything, of course. But um, I do want to get to Wimbledon. The big story right. on the women's side of things is Iga losing a match. Uh, flashback to a couple of days ago when I said I'd still take Iga over the field that aged so well. Iga going down to Elise Cornet, the giant killer, eight years after Cornet beat Serena on number one court. When Serena was the number one player in the world, she does it again. She stops the 37-match winning streak. It ends as the longest in the century, tied longest since 1990. I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but what a streak. And if you want to touch on like the match itself, because she did, she, she seemed to have no answers out there and she kind of, she knew in a way that grass was probably likely going to trip her up and it did. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll take a bit of a victory lap here. Uh, Cause I know you did better on our pre-tournament Wimbledon predictions, but on this particular, Ooh, one, you did too. You said ego was going to win against Jabir in the final. That's true, but I'm just saying, I said I would take the field over her. I said on the last episode that I kind of regretted that, that I wasn't so sure anymore. So I was more trending in the right direction than you. That said, neither of us necessarily saw this one coming. This was still a shock. Elise Cornet is always capable of a big upset. Um, we saw her beat Halep at the Australian Open this year. We saw her beat Ostapenko at the French. So this is something we know she's capable of, and she showed up on the big stage. Sviantek was admittedly very, very poor. Uh, she was hitting a lot of unforced errors, especially in that second set. It, there came a certain point where she just was confused and didn't know what to do. She's obviously been trying to be super aggressive this year. And with that, that quicker surface, trying to be more flat on the grass. Um, and as you mentioned with the Western group last time, it was just too difficult for her to adjust to these conditions. And you know, not, nothing against that. Tennis has its ways of, of messing up uh, people. She can go through the whole clay court season not losing, but once you get on the grass, it's a whole new game. We should really honor how much she's taken the mantle from Barty over this uh, period of time where she hasn't lost at all. She won 37 straight matches, which is utterly insane. But I'm glad that, you know, t tennis proved that it's not that easy to, to keep doing that for the whole season. No, it, got, it made her look human in a way, especially in that second set, losing six straight games. Seems she was out of ideas, and she touched on this in the press conference out of afterwards, rushing into the net a lot more. She seemed kind of impatient, trying to finish the points quickly. And she said afterwards that it might take her a couple of years to feel comfortable on the surface, and it makes sense. Shiantek's stats, I want to read this for you, 21 winners, 33 unforced errors. 
Uh, and then she 68% net points, which actually surprised me, but she won 30% of the points on her second serve. So that's how you win matches, Eli, especially against someone like Cornet. Cornet went on to lose to Isla Tomlanovic in the next round, which was. Isla's playing very well. Isla is playing very well. She had an amazing Yeah, she had an amazing turnaround against Krajikova in the third round. Um, and she's she's great on the surface. So credit to her. Credit to her indeed. The big match a couple of no yesterday actually was Halep against Bedosa. I was leaning towards picking Halep as one of the picks to win this week, and she approved why. She's been trending in the right direction. Didn't have a great result of the French Open using to Jen Chinwen, like 6-1 in the third. It wasn't close the last two sets, but she battled back, and it seemed like her coaching relationship with Patrick Mortoglu has really settled in. She looked unbeatable out there. Her ground strokes were penetrating through the court. She was winning all the baseline rallies, the patented backhand down the line. It was it was a perfect match since the one at Serena. Yeah, and- it was reminiscent of that match. And she was certainly hungry to uh, put out some similar form to that match, considering that this was her first time on center court since the 2019 Wimbledon final. She was snubbed for the opening spot on Tuesday on center court. She was wronged of that. I think almost everyone in the tennis world agreed that it should have been her opening center court on that Tuesday morning. They chose Iga Sviantec instead. Uh, today, she she proved why she's a former Wimbledon champion. She seemed hungry to show, show her tennis to everyone. I'm cautious to praise Patrick Moritoglu too much because he's kind of a buffoon. He is very attention easy and and narcissistic in a way that makes me extremely easy. uncomfortable these are eli's opinions i'm making this clear i mean yeah i'm saying them so they're my opinions um but that being said there has been an upturn in form since uh he, he joined her team so I, I think there definitely has to be some sort of credit in his direction but more than that Simona Halep hasn't played at Wimbledon since 2019. We know how good she is on grass. Arguably, this could be her best surface. I think she's almost surface proof that anytime she's in a draw, she's extremely dangerous. But especially here on this court with so many special memories, that performance against Bedosa was unbelievable. It was, it was, I mean, 6-2-6-1 against someone who looked great in her own right, beating Petra Kvitova in the previous round. Halep since 2016 at Wimbledon quarters quarters third round win and then she didn't play last year and then quarters again this year it's a pretty good record considering the depth of the women's field mirrors that of Kerber in a way who lost earlier in the tournament Halep is according to some people the favorite right now although I do worry about that next match against Anna Samova coming off a really high win I think she's experienced enough to be able to set her set her expectations and not have them soaring through the roof. But that next match against Anasimova will be tricky. And if we want to talk about Anasimova a little bit, that, I mean, she, she backed up a great win against Coco. We talked about that at nauseum a couple of days ago with a great win over Harmony Tan as well. So she, she's looking really good and it's nice to see an American in the quarters as well. For sure. I, I consider myself an Amanda Anasimova fan and, it's great to see her doing this well, as we've talked about in the past. I was really concerned about this Harmony Tan matchup. I thought that if 
Tan managed to just stay in the points, you know, slice, keep it low, keep it deep. Anisimova would really struggle having to put away points, hit two or three potential winners per point just to finally end it. Um, and, and that's the kind of kind of match that can often trip her up. But she was flawless in that match. She was was hitting the forehand much better than she was hitting it against Coco Goff. Um, and when that that's sort of the barometer by which I judge her game, because the backhand is almost always going to be on song. That's one of the best strokes in all of tennis, the Anisimova backhand. But the forehand can kind of go it's on. Forehand, yeah. Um, so when it's on, she's tough to beat in any sense. I do worry about the Halep matchup. Obviously, she beat Halep en route to the Roland Garros semifinal in 2019, but she's lost their last two matchups pretty handily. So I would still favor Halep in that one. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Anna Smova will come out for a little revenge tomorrow, which will be exciting. She needs to do a lot better than she did a couple of weeks ago. They played, where did they play? They played you know, Bad Homburg, I think. Okay. Yes, 6-2-6-1 for Halep. And these are Anna Smova's stats. 52% for a serve in, 52% win percentage on first serve points, over three on break points. So she needs to clear all of that up. The serving has been better, I think, in this tournament. Minus that first set against Coco, or right, serve forehand. Those are the keys. And if she if she is able to step up in those departments, she has a really good chance to win. I I I, I believe it. I think she's on a on a good roll as well. That will be the match of tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, moving on. Uh, just quick, quickly getting through the rest of the top half of the women's straw. We have Ayla Tamjanovic, as we've mentioned, beating Alize Corne. She will face in the quarterfinals Elena Rybakina, who beat Petra Martic in straight sets after beating Zhenchen Wen in straight sets to reach the quarterfinals. She has really been on song in this tournament with that big serve, those powerful ground strokes. When I was watching that match against Martic, the thing I that just jumped out to me was that the sound off of her racket was just a different sound as it is to to Martich and most other players. It's kind of just a, a thunder crack. You you notice when Elena Rybakina is striking that tennis ball, and I think she she has a real chance to you know go further in this tournament than she already has. The statement win for Rybakina I thought was against BB Andrescu in the second round six four oh seven six. She's had a lot of tight matches, but just been able to get through those relatively handily. And I think I think she's she's a threat, of course, to someone like Simona, I think, or Anna Samova, whoever she plays. She's really good on grass, as we saw earlier in the in the tournament. And I, I think I think I think she has a chance. Let's not write. Let's not just say the winner of Hop Anna Samova is making the final like, easy, right? For sure. And, and another thing with Rybakina is it's always so impressive to me how she keeps her emotions so, you know, under the lid through the whole match, no matter what the score is, no matter how well she's playing or how poorly she's playing, her expression doesn't change one bit. That's kind of the polar opposite to Andrescu in that match, to some other players uh, in tennis as well. And, and I just think I, I kind of like watching that. Like, I like seeing someone who Obviously, there's the entertainment value we, we all love of someone going crazy. I think that has a lot of value, but I think it, it's good to have some variety in the way players express their emotions, and her her way of doing it is valid too. Shall we move on to Ange Jabur? Awesome. Semi finalist 
this year at Wimbledon semifinalist at a major for the first time today, beating Maria Buskova 3-6-6-1-6-1. She had a pressure moment, Eli. She had it in the last match, too, against Elise Merton. She wasn't playing well that first set tiebreak. And she gutted it out, saved so many set points down the stretch. And this is this is a new entrepreneur, I think. After the French Open disappointment, she's she's learning how to deal with the later rounds of a major tournament, and it's good to see. And she's right up there with Halep, in my opinion, as the two favorites to win this tournament. Yeah, certainly considering her semifinal draw, you'd have to put her as the favorite right now. Um, but I, I totally agree with you. She's had pressure moments in these last two rounds. She's had moments where it felt like, okay, this is where she's being tested. This is the the measure of whether she is is ready to be a slam champion, whether she can get through these matches. I, I sort of disagree with you. I thought she played an amazing tiebreak against Elise Mertens. That, that was a a super tight set. Mertens was bringing it as she tends to do. Uh, misses consistent. She She's always bringing it at slams. Fourth round at the first three slams of this year is Mertens. And she brought it again. She finds a way to just consistently get the ball down the line. I think most players sort of stay safe in those cross-court patterns. Mertens is always going at it, trying to be the one to redirect the ball in a point. And she was doing that against Jabur. And it took some exquisite shot making from Jabur to get herself out of that tie break, especially with the forehand. She was just pummeling forehand to forehand rallies, finding a way to create angles and eventually, um, you know, get, get through the defenses and the tenacity and consistency of Mertens in that tie break. So, so that was really where um I thought Merton, uh, Jabur came to that test. And then the boost of a match day, I didn't watch any of it. But again, I, I saw as uh, Buskova won the first set, I was thinking, I don't know what's going on here, but Jabur is going to have to find a way to mentally block that out and show us why she is ready to be a slam champion. And she did exactly that, just comfortably rolling through the next set. So well done to her. I'm, I'm pulling for her this tournament. Indeed. I, I have this quote from Ons that I think is really funny. She said, I was hoping that I could get to the stage for a long time already. Semifinals to the Grand Slam. I was talking a little bit to a former Moroccan player, Hisham Arasi, and he told me, Arabs always lose in the quarterfinals and we are sick of it. Please break this. I was like, I'll try, my friend. That, that's, that's, so, that's so awesome. She is the first <laughs> Arab woman to reach the semifinal at a Grand Slam. She will take on a 34-year-old next from Germany, Tathana Maria. And that's an awesome story as well. 34-year-old, first major semifinal. She's beaten some quality players. Sakari, Asta Pancake, she, she's in it. Yes, uh... You know, in, admittedly, Tatiana Maria against uh, Yula Niemeyer isn't exactly the quarterfinal we all expected or were necessarily hoping for. But two great stories um, in their own right. Tatiana Maria is the mother of two. Um, she's taken two hiatuses from the WTA tour in order to give birth. Uh, her, her first daughter is eight or nine years old. Her second one, I think, was born uh, about two years ago. So she's only recently coming back from that second hiatus. And it's a lovely story to see her have the best moment of her career this late in her career um, with her, her first daughter old enough to really be able to take it in and to understand the significance of what her mother has done. So I love that. And she's also bringing back 
you know, some, some slice and dice tennis, some junk ball with the forehand slice, um, both off both wings, really making her opponent uncomfortable with those low deep slices coming into net. And then also combining that with a really potent first serve um, and the, the top spin forehand when she does hit it is actually struck really well and really powerfully. So she deserves everything she's gotten at this tournament. It hasn't been a kind draw, as you pointed out there. Yeah, 103 in the world is Maria coming into this match. I have a quick trivia for you. I actually don't know the answer. Who is the last person outside the top 100 to make a semi a major? I mean, Raducanu was outside the top 100. Was she really? Yeah. She was I know like she came through qualifying, but... Yeah, but she was like 100. I mean, she had to get a wild card into qualifying. She was probably okay. like 160-something in the world. That, that, okay, so never mind. Bad trivia. I thought that was the answer but she might have been like 90-something. I don't know. Shall we talk about the men's side? We shall. Let's do it. First order of business, we are going to talk about Cam. No, I'm kidding. We're kind of talking about Nick Kyrgios, the, the person who claims he is amazing for the sport of tennis. He draws all the attention, Eli. He draws all the media, the fans. People are saying on Twitter, I haven't watched tennis for so long, but Nick, got me to watch tennis we talk about that match against sidzi pass we can talk about the match against nakashima we can also talk about some off-court stuff i'll leave it to you where do you want to start yeah i mean you're obviously right that nick curious divides opinion um i think it's not a coincidence that the people most fond of him are the people who follow tennis the least because we no who, who have been accustomed to watching his temper tantrums for such a long time have kind of gotten bored of them um, but I, I think separate from all of that, we need to start with the news today that he's set to be charged with common assault, um, in a Canberra court, I believe a statement was released that said ACT policing can confirm a 27 year old Watson man, uh, who is assumed to be curious is scheduled to face the ACT magistrate's court on the 2nd of August in relation to one charge of common assault following an incident in December 2021. Now, this incident is one that was publicized somewhat at the time. Um, he and his girlfriend, Kiara Passari, had to be separated from a hotel room in Australia. Uh, I believe they were quarantining due to the COVID restrictions back then. Um, they were There was a police intervention. They had to be separated. And Passari on Instagram, posted a number of different uh, stories talking about the abusive nature of their relationship stemming from Curios's uh, emotional abuse towards her. And it seems like that emotional abuse did escalate into physical abuse um, based on these allegations. She uh, released a text me message exchange between them in which he right. seemed to uh, encourage her to kill herself and also compared his actions to that of Alexander Zverev, who of course has also been accused of domestic violence by his former girlfriend, Olya Sharipova. The ATP has said that they've created a new domestic violence policy in response to that and have launched an investigation against Zverev, but we've heard nothing out of that investigation. So theoretically, outside of these uh, official legal channels in Australia, the ATP should be doing something to deal with it. But We've kind of lost all trust in the ATP by this point, considering the lack of action that they've taken against Verev, the lack of transparency they've had throughout that entire process, in addition to the processes of 
Nicolas Basilashvili, who was also charged for domestic violence uh, in his home country of Georgia, and an additional allegation against Brazilian player Tiago Sebot Wild. So not too confident that the ATP is going to be doing a lot here. But regardless, uh, at least this is being handled through an official legal channel. And obviously, Curios is innocent until proven guilty. But I don't think it's unfair to say that given his public behavior, it wouldn't surprise me if his, his private behavior was consistent with that. Yeah, I would agree. The ATP responded saying the ATP is aware of the Australian case involving Nick Kyrgios, but as legal proceedings are ongoing, it would be inappropriate to comment further at this time. So, ho-hum. As you said, it can be a string of drama surrounding Nick. Obviously, he hasn't played as much this year, a focus on mental health, and it it kind of, not the mental health stuff, of course, but the drama around him kind of sucks. They were talking about him on the broadcast because his tennis is so good and it's so entertaining and it draws fans, of course. Just the talking in between points and the everything off court that is way worse and the fans and the spitting in front of a fan, it's it's disappointing in a way because you kind of want to let the, the tennis do the talking and he's in the quarterfinals of a Grand Slam. He hasn't done that in ages, right? I believe it was 2015. Australian Open so you kind of wish that would do the talking because I think he could be really great for the sport right now it seems like there's a lot of clouds around him and I'm not sure how he how the tour can proceed viewing him as a character in the sport yeah and we've, we've known who he is for so long there was a certain point where it was maybe reasonable to say oh if he becomes more committed or if he you know, kind of kind of becomes more mature or gets rid of all the distractions. And maybe he could be an amazing player, a consistent top 10 player, but that's not who he is. There's no way he's changing at this point. So we have to accept that this version of Nick Curios is his true self and let, you know, everyone judge him based on that. Um, specifically, the Stefano Tsitsipas match was just had everything. Um, we had him going after the year. I mean, that's that's a yes. bold call at this point. Uh, no, in here. I'm and not, not, not in terms of the tennis, but in terms no, of... In terms of, like, the hype and, like, the entertainment match of the year, by far. Perhaps so far. Um, continuing, there were a lot of incidents in that match, and the commentators were very critical of Curious's behavior going back and forth with the umpire. It really rattled Stefano Tsitsipas, and I think the media has kind of let him get away with what were some troubling incidents from his end, smacking a ball into the crowd um, really close to, if not hitting a spectator in the head. Oh, I think it did. I think yeah. it did. Nick yeah. Curious was adamant that Tsitsipas should have been defaulted. Um, afterwards, Tsitsipas called him a bully, said that he, he you know, is constantly abusing his opponents and, and the umpires. In this instance, I did agree with Curious that Tsitsipas should have been defaulted. I don't know about you. It's a blurry line. I think that ATP needs to, the grants, it's not the ATP, my bad. The grand slams need to make a better policy around defaulting. It needs to be more clear. I agreed with him on that. It's not like the severity of the injury. It's no, if you hit someone in the head and it's like Denis Shapovalov did, 
at the, was it the Davis Cup <laughs> a couple of years ago? Or you just fling it into the crowd and it happens to hit someone like in the arm. Like you can't be hitting balls out of the stands is my opinion, or even like anywhere on the court because it has the ability or the danger to injure someone. So I think a clear line definitely needs to be drawn there. And I understood what he was arguing for. But then again, you're playing someone else. You're in the middle of a match. I don't think it's necessarily the great thing for you to do to go hype up your opponent being defaulted and take away from your level of tennis. But somehow he managed to do that. He served phenomenally afterwards. The fourth set tie break was a thing of beauty. The tennis was so, so high. So I'm, I'm impressed that he's able to keep his focus on the match while also his head be seemingly being in so many different directions. It's impressive, I guess. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point there that in the past, a lot of times when the antics have gone up, that's kind of caused him to lose focus and his tennis level has completely gone out the window. Whereas in this match, there wasn't really a correlation between his antics and the amount of distractions he was causing and his actual level of tennis. It pretty much stayed solid the whole time, which was a new development for Nick Kyrgios. And even in the next max match against uh, Brandon Nakashima, there were some back and forth, uh, you know, his level rose and it fell and his, his interest kind of wavered a little bit more than it did in the Sitsipas match, mostly due to the fact that Brandon Nakashima is the most solid face, like not going to get affected by anything guy on the tour he's so mentally solid and almost like bored nick on that center court morning um but he just he, he found a way to keep the tennis level up even uh you know it was a much more controlled performance from him in that one even though he lost two sets um yeah do you have anything else on, on that nakajima match no it was it was good it was interesting how he didn't start talking until what was it two sets and a half in so he it was a much more controlled level of tennis that was played. he may have gotten Brandon might have seen him a little bit when he was kept uh feeling that shoulder pain towards the end towards in that third set which clearly um it was bothering him he said afterwards that it bothered him post the Sitsipas match and then he compared himself to Nadal saying everybody's going through something we could talk about that, but he said, everybody's not feeling a hundred percent and he was able to battle through the pain. He wanted it a lot in that fifth set and he played, he played well in that fifth set, I think. So yeah. Nakashima, by the way, I'm a big fan of, I, I love the backhand and the serve, especially just a very fluid motion. Uh, his, his backhand is one of the purest on the, on the tour. So only 20 years old, bright future. Yep. Uh, on the whole curious debacle obviously the tennis aside the most important thing here is we we wish uh Chiara Pissari well um and, and all victims of domestic violence indeed shall we move on to Rafael Nadal in the bottom half of the draw who would be a potential semi-final opponent for Nick yeah. here obviously the other big name in the bottom half of the draw, 10 wins away now from the calendar slam. We're at it again, Eli, and he's playing American Taylor Fritz tomorrow. 
had his troubles in the third set against Bodek Monasanchalup, who's really been the, on this meteoric rise since the quarterfinals last year at the U.S. Open. And he brought it to Nadal in that third set. Nadal has, after those kind of iffy first two matches, he played our guy, Lorenzo Sonigo, and came through that one. There's a little bit of testy exchange there at the net. If we want to talk about that a little bit, but he played better that match and then the next match, and he's looking in top form uh, when he plays Taylor tomorrow. For sure. He's gotten better with every match. I was very worried about his prospects for this tournament in the first round when he was really tested by Francisco Serundolo, who admittedly is an excellent player, even on the grass. But there was a point in that match where I thought Serundolo had a serious chance of winning, but he couldn't quite close out the fourth set. Rafa broke him back twice in quick succession and closed it out. Next round, still dropped a set to Barankis, looked a little shaky, but these last two rounds have been very good. The Sonigo match was totally routine and absolute destruction until the bit of drama with the roof closing and the infamous net summons. But yeah, th this past Botic match, uh, a little bit of trouble in the third set aside. He was excellent again. Taylor Fritz will be the biggest test yet, having beaten him in the Indian Wells final. But I think this is a completely new match, considering that they both had their injury issues in that Indian Wells final. This is a more complete and healthy and uh, peak version of Rafael Nadal. It might be an even better version of Taylor Fritz too, but you, ha you have to like Nadal in this situation with the form he's in. Yeah, he steps up and again, three out of five sets. It's a hard task to beat Nadal, even Barankis. He was able to push Nadal for a set, not so much for three out of five. Just for some context with what Eli said about the net summoning, Sonigo was displaying some loud grunting that he hit the shot, and then when it was over the net, he started to grunt. And Nadal, the grunter of all grunters, found a little issue to this. He went down level 15. He went to talk to the umpire. Then at the end of the game, when he's broken to love, he calls Sonigo to the net. And it was a swing in momentum. I, I tried too hard there. And <laughs> Nadal broke right back. Yes, he broke right back and finished the match off. He said he was wrong to do it afterwards. But I think we're that's already happened. It's in the past now. Yes, they, these two did play. Taylor and Roth I'm talking about earlier this year in Indian Wells. It was Taylor's. Burst Masters 1000 title. Rafa referenced that match saying he couldn't really draw a lot out of it given his rib injury that he was playing with after coming through a tough third setter against Alcaraz the day before. Who I don't think there's anything to draw from the ma that match then. And three out of five, it's tough ask. Do you think Taylor will be up for it? He'll definitely be up for it. Do you he think he won? hasn't played a particularly large amount of tennis so far in this tournament. So he'll have the energy. He's playing great tennis. I don't think he'll win, but I wouldn't be surprised if he, he takes it deep, maybe even deep into a fifth set. Wow. That, that's, that's bold. Given the way Nadal has been picking it up, I thought you were going to say like deep into like a third set or fourth set, but fifth is like, we shall see. Drama. He played, um, Rafa played a fifth set. A couple of years ago against Delpo in the Wimbledon um, quarterfinals, and then had to play Novak a couple of days later. 
Obviously, this time he might have to play Curious a couple of weeks later. Different prospect. We are going to talk about Novak. He is on the top side of the draw. He came through a mammoth battle today against Yannick Center, who had been playing some awesome stuff. His forehand cross court has it's it's been one of the shots of the tournament, I think. And he and Novak put on an excellent battle. Center had it five seven five six two, and it was interesting because I watched the ESPN highlights where Darren Cahill was kind of talking through the highlights and Darren is kind of been is helping coach Yannick Sinner. And he said there was one point at one two love 15 where Sinner was serving and this is in the third set. That was a and big had, one. Yep. Yeah. And he had this forehand right open court for 15 um, for 15 all buried it in the net. Novak was off in the opposite direction. And Darren was talking about how like Novak, his eye is just like, they, they, he sparked up and now he had, he, he felt like he was in the match already and the whole momentum changed from there. And what was it? Six, three, six, two, six, two, last couple sets. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. This match very reminiscent of two of Djokovic's matches at 2020 run uh, Roland Garros, both the Musetti match in the round of 16 and the Sitsipas match in the final where he went down two sets to love. And from the moment he broke in the third set, it was basically over. It's just such a weird dynamic with Novak where you feel like once he has his teeth into the match, he could be down two sets to love. But once you see that look in his eyes, as you say, once you see the opponent start to miss a little bit, it feels like there's no way back for them, even though they're they're winning the match and only need one more set to close it out. I think Yannick Sitter probably lost belief today um, once he lost that set and really Novak has been in excellent form this tournament. It was strange that he lost those two sets, and obviously Sinner is a huge part of that. But Novak Djokovic at his best, which he has been for certain parts of this tournament, isn't really losing those sets, I I think. And I don't expect him to lose sets to Cameron Norrie in the semifinals. I think that might be the test that he had to pass through in this tournament, and he's passed it now. I I I think he's a clear favorite. He's definitely the clear, clear favorite, I think. I want to run through some stats. I haven't seen these. And there was this notion that Yannick had to play like a perfect first two sets to get the lead. And he did, in a way, 19 winners, 15 unforced against Novak, who had minus winners to unforced errors. And then he kind of fell off in the last three sets. But it's not like he was playing badly. He was still playing well. His... Um, let me see. Win percentage on first serve points for the match, 69% is good against Novak. Needs to be a little bit better though. It has to. <laughs> you want to win. You're playing Novak Djokovic, of course. It's not like Sinner played badly, but Novak, once you get his teeth into the match, is playing well. There's this other notion that y- Yannick is not someone who can take the racket out of Novak's hands. He can play well, and he has played well this tournament, and he played phenomenally against Alcaraz especially enough can't be said about that. And I think he will win a slam at some point in his career, but Novak, he was not someone who was going to outserve Novak, outpower Novak, do something that was going to really frustrate Novak where Djokovic couldn't rebound, rebound from that. The match I keep going back to is query when he played Novak at Wimbledon, 2016 could take the racket out of Djokovic's hands. And even though Novak went down two sets to love, there was a sense that query, if he gets on it for 10, 15 minutes, it's over. Here, there, that was never the case, and he rounded, rebounded for that 
from that here. And I think if that if a similar thing happens or he gets into a little, little trouble in the next match against Nori, I don't think it'll be much of a problem later. And if we want to talk about Cam, he played great today. Fifth set, clutch in from five all, gets to seven five. It was a testing match against Gofan, if you want to talk about that. For sure. This was the moment that Cameron Nori really introduced himself to the British public, uh, the locals, as they might say, who haven't really been following Cameron Nori's ascent into the top 10 because he hasn't had a Grand Slam moment until this tournament. He hadn't made uh, it past the third round of a Grand Slam before this Wimbledon, now into the semifinals, which is just a remarkable story. Um, again, I didn't have the chance to watch any of this match, but it seemed like it was tightly contested. David Goffin had obviously just played another five-set epic just before this one, beating Francis Tiafo, also 7-5 in the fifth. Um, that one really could have gone either way. I was disappointed to see Tiafo go out, but obviously amazing for David Goffin to even get to the stage with how far down he had fallen with injuries. Um, I think he had... In it, there was a calendar year. There was a point where he had a nine and nineteen win loss record from like March of um, twenty twenty one to March of 2022, I believe. Which wow. he, he there was a point where he was just way off form, and to have him back this quickly is great. But Cameron Norrie is just Mister Consistent. He is going to win the matches that he's supposed to win in almost every circumstance. He's had a lot of tough Grand Slam draws. Like, I think he had to play Seb Korda in the first round of the Australian Open this year, which is just kind of a nightmare first-round draw. But if you give him the draw, he's going to take advantage of it, and he's proven that once again this tournament. He has indeed. I want to read you something from Cam, what he said today he said when I made the quarterfinals the other day I was thinking about when I was a kid and I was watching guys on tv making the quarterfinals and thinking wow this looks so tough to do and there's almost zero chance I'm going to do that but to actually just to actually be doing it and to be living it and experiencing it is very cool and pretty crazy actually those are the one of those stories you just love he's going to be loved for by the British public for a long long time it's amazing for um, their country having a person in it late Obviously, last year, it was really cool. The Wimbledon environment was amazing because you also had the Euros going on at the same time. And England was in the finals. So you had this whole sporting craze brought up in, in the UK. And yeah, you got to love this guy. I mean, yeah. And, and another aspect I just want to address, there's been, I've seen a lot of comments on Twitter from British idiots to the effect of, oh, he's not actually British. He's, you know, born in South Africa, raised in New Zealand. And honestly, those people can just get out of here. You, you can represent whatever country you want. Both of his parents are British. Uh, one of them is Scottish. One of them is Welsh. And he lives in Reading, like very, very close to Wimbledon. He cycles into Wimbledon every day. He's lived there for a number of years. And if he wants to fly the flag, he should feel that he has the right to fly whatever flag he wants if he feels that personal connection to that flag. Um, obviously, you know, it's the same comments we heard about Emma Raducanu. Oh, she was born in Canada. One of her parents is Romanian and Chinese. Like, who cares where her, you know, what the specific circumstances are? If they feel British, if they have the legal connection to Britain. And Not even if they feel it. Yeah. If you have a passport, like, 
Yeah. You can wear and, and whatever exactly. and you it, want. It, that's, that's the thing. If you have a passport, like Elena Rybakina is into the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. She is from Russia. She is born yes. and raised in Moscow, Russia, a product of the Russian Tennis Federation, but she is not flying their flag. And that is what counts in this circumstance, because even though she doesn't have a lot of connections to the country of Kazakhstan, they offered her the chance to play there. She is, you know, got Kazakhstani citizenship and the they point were, of the they Russian were able ban, to fund her training essentially when the Russian correct and the point of the Russian ban is to prevent Vladimir Putin from claiming success and using the success of tennis players to bolster his regime and by proxy bolster his war efforts in Ukraine so that's the the logic if Elena Rybakina wins Wimbledon she's not flying the Russian flag so he can't do that so that not the same situation in any way obviously but what matters is how you choose to represent yourself uh, to the public. And if that's how she chooses it, that's how Cam Nori chooses, that's how we should, uh, you know, interpret their decision and respect their decision. Awesome. Now we, we kind of went on a little tangent there. All good. Very quickly, Cam and Novak will be playing in a couple days. They get that extra day off for the major first time that's actually happening at Wimbledon because they changed the schedule instead of all the men's quarterfinals being played on Wednesday. They do half on Tuesday, half on Wednesday. So these two will get a couple days rest, and hopefully it'll be a good match on Friday. It'll be first up, I think, at like 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. Very quickly, I know you want to do Pablo Corner, even though Pablo, we could talk about Pablo, him getting the wooden spoon again, because that is very possible. But I hadn't even thought any of other that, news, go ahead. Yes, that's that's still possible. If Djokovic beats Cam Nori and then loses in the final to whoever comes through the bottom half of the draw, that will be the third wooden spoon for Pablo in the last five majors, which has yeah. to be completely unprecedented. Otherwise, though, the news I was planning on talking about is that Pablo has posted an Instagram story of him practicing on clay. So here's hoping that he can return for Hamburg and defend his title, which he won last year, which was the biggest title of his career. So really hope he gets back out there and is able to play in Hamburg because we, we, we really need to see him back soon. Okay. Very, very, very massive news coming out of ELI in this situation. Maybe he'll play team in one of these clay court events. That would be, that would be a good match. He would have a chance of winning that. So. <laughs> Okay, let's wrap it up. That um, Wimbledon rolling on Tuesday is today. So got a couple more days left and it will be fun and exciting. And we will break it down to you once the last winner or unforced error is hit on Sunday. Amazing. Eli, anything else? AOB before we get out of here. I don't believe there is any other business, um, but it's been a pleasure. See you soon. Great. You can check us out on Twitter at Boomerang Break. That right there is my guy, Eli um, EK. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you. Uh, I am Rom. Thank you, everyone, everyone, so much for watching. And until next time, take care. Have a good night, guys. Adios.